Uh, November is a time of year at Green Tree that we call vision and provision. It's a time of year where we, uh, where we look ahead to the next year, 2010, this, uh, this coming year, and, and we kind of lay out where we're going in ministries. Uh, we talk about uh, the, the budget and the financial plans for the next year. Uh, and it's also a time where we talk about God's provision. It's a time where we celebrate what God has done and what God is doing uh, in and through us. I'm excited about Vision Provision this year uh, for a couple of different reasons. One is, is that, that the, the center of our attention for the next four weeks is going to be on lives that are changed by the gospel. We're going to be telling four different stories over the next four Sundays, and I hope you will really make time in your schedule uh, to be with us every Sunday this month because we're going to be looking at what God is doing in and through Green Tree, uh, the ministries of Green Tree, the people of Green Tree, not so that we can pat ourselves on the back and say, way to go, aren't we a great group of people? Far, far be it, the opposite of that. Rather, it's a chance for us to celebrate how God's grace is moving and working in our lives. Uh, you're going to get some information in the mail this week uh, that talk about the ministries, that talk about some of our plans, that talk about the budgets. We want you to read that. We want you to be well-informed about our financial plans and that sort of thing. Uh, but, but equally important is that our focus for the next several weeks uh, really celebrates the grace and the mercy of God. This morning, we're going to start our storytelling by looking at a story of conversion or a story of someone coming to salvation. It's a story of faith. Uh, in just a few minutes after I read the passage of Scripture, we're going to, the bulk of the sermon this morning is actually going to be on the screen uh, in, in a narrative story form as one of our members tells uh, her story, her journey of how God drew her to himself. It's a journey uh, of faith. A lot of different twists and turns, a lot of different uh, interesting scenarios that happened, but all of which happened as a process by which God brought her to himself. And so we're going to celebrate that this morning. We're going to, we're going to rejoice in that. And then we're going, to, we're going to ask some questions at the end of that story of how do we apply that to our lives? Each person in this room, uh, whether we are a disciple of Jesus or whether we're uh, a seeker or a skeptic, each one of us has a life story. Every one of us has a journey, uh, has a story to tell. And we want to ask the question at Green Tree, is Jesus part of that story? And if he's not part of your story, we want to invite you to make him part of your story because we think that he's the most important part uh, of the story. In order to do this, we're going to, I'm going to read for us out of Genesis. We're in a, in a year-long study in, in Genesis. And this morning, I'm going to read the first 14 verses of Genesis chapter 22 because it begs the question of faith. It's, it's a moment in Abraham's life where he has to decide if he's going to trust God. And so we're going to use that as a background uh, for uh, the, the, the story you're going to see in just a minute. And then we're also going to use that as a springboard. I'm going to come back after the, the story's over, uh, and I'm going to ask a couple questions, and part of that will be based uh, on Genesis 22. Uh, so hear the Word of God, uh, and then we'll, we'll listen to the story. After these things, God tested Abraham. And he said to him, Abraham, and he said, here am I. And he said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. He cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and he saw the place from afar. 
Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and will come again to you. And Abraham took the wood, the burnt offering, and laid it on his son Isaac. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them, together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here am I, my son. And he said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. When they came to the place in which God had told him, Abraham built an altar there, laid the wood in order, and bound Isaac his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham reached out his hand and took his knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. He said, Do not lay a hand on the boy or do anything to harm him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes, and he looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, The Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, on the mountain of the Lord, it shall be provided. This is a reading of God's holy and perfect word. To him alone be glory. As you listen to this story this morning, it's about 20, 21, 22 minutes, a little bit longer. Uh, we've never done a, a story quite this long uh, on the screen this morning, but, but uh, those of us who've had the opportunity to, to interact with it believe it's very compelling. Uh, very personable. We believe you'll, you'll, your attention uh, will not be distracted. Uh, we think it will, uh, will hold your attention. Uh, but as you listen to this story, with the background of the question with which Abraham wrestled, will God provide? Again, whether you're a disciple of Jesus or whether you're here as a seeker or a skeptic, ask yourself the question, does God provide for salvation? And then later on, we're going to ask the question, does God provide for me? So let's watch the story. Listen to the story together. I was raised right here in Kirkwood in a Christian home. My family went to church and Sunday school. In middle school, I was confirmed. And in high school, I went to Young Life. Then when I um, went to college, my sorority house had a Bible study that was sponsored by Campus Crusades for Christ. And so I studied scripture with my sorority sisters. And then junior year, I met Tom and fell in love with him. And together we went to church off campus in Nashville for my junior and senior year. If anybody was looking at me on the outside, I looked like a solid Christian. But that's as deep as it went, the outside. When Tom and I got married, we moved to Lexington, Kentucky, and we joined a church there. And we were pretty typical that we went to adult Sunday school and we helped the assistant pastor with the new membership class. And I even took vacation time off from my job as a pediatric nurse to um, staff the two-year-old room at vacation Bible study. But the women there were surprised I took vacation time because I wasn't a stay-at-home mom. And a barrier started to grow because 
I wasn't a mom at all, even though I desperately wanted to be. After um, six years of working with an infertility specialist, uh, we finally conceived, and we were so joyful. I remember rejoicing in our Christmas cards that year that we were expecting at last until December 20th when my obstetrician did an ultrasound that showed I had a blighted ovum and the baby wasn't viable. And so he told me I should wait and miscarry spontaneously and that it could take a few days or a few weeks. Well, it took a whole month and we were devastated. They told us not to travel over the Christmas holidays and our families were both out of town in St. Louis and Chicago and we were so, so very alone. Our church didn't nurture those kind of relationships that help you share your suffering and your pain and so no one from our church knew about our pain or acknowledged our loss. And I, I'm sure there are people here even at Green Tree who um, are suffering alone and the church isn't there for their pain. And that's a really hard place to be. It was the first time I had really suffered and I realized my religion wasn't strong enough or deep enough to carry me through that suffering. My sorrow was compounded by two other immediate losses. My um, best friend's two-year-old daughter died of a brain tumor. And then my mother's best friend, who was like another mother to me, died of breast cancer at the age of 53, which is younger than I am now. And I just couldn't reconcile how a God who was all-powerful and all-loving could allow such suffering, and my heart started to turn to stone. Tom was um, very successful financially in his, his business, and the church noticed, and they asked him to be on the administrative board. And one of their projects was to develop a Christian radio station. And for the first time in our membership at that church, they came over to our home to ask us for money to support that radio station. And we just had a really hard time with that, that they would come to us for money when they weren't there for us in our suffering and our pain. And we were so offended that we left the church for 15 years. During those 15 years, Tom and I moved from Lexington to St. Louis um, to be around family. And his, his business continued to flourish. And we had two healthy boys. And we were building a house in, Le in uh, Ladue to be closer to their private schools. William had transferred to MICDS in sixth grade. And it was at MICDS that I met my friend, Sally McNeil, at orientation. And we decided to volunteer in the <clears throat> bookstore in the middle school. And for one afternoon a month, for four hours, we would staff the bookstore. 
and it would be a purchasing frenzy for about five minutes with the students between classes. And then while they were in class, we'd have like 50 minutes with just time to talk to each other. And so we started sharing life. And if you think about it, in our hectic world these days, how often do we take time to consistently spend four hours with a friend once a month really talking about life? And part of our lives involved Sally's battle with breast cancer. And I went to war with Sally. One of uh, my jobs was to arrange meals from parents at school. And I did the best I could, but there wasn't much for me to do because I noticed Sally was surrounded by people from church and that the meals that we were providing from school were on alternating nights with the meals provided for church from church. And when I went over to visit Sally, her house was filled with cards and flowers. And when I was there, people would drop by. And I just had never seen such an outpouring of love. And that really touched my heart. Sally won that battle with breast cancer, only to face another battle, ovarian cancer. And I remember she called me to tell me that her ultrasound and blood tests confirmed it and that the doctors were going to do a total hysterectomy that week um, and take out any metastasis they saw to give her a better chance at life and more time. And I just remember getting off the phone with her and just sobbing. And my boys were asking, what's wrong, Mom? What's wrong? And I just kept crying out, Sally has no hope. This is like a death sentence. People are lucky to survive months with ovarian cancer. And later that week, Sally had her surgery. And she called me that afternoon when she got out of the recovery room. And she said, it's a miracle. It's a miracle. You won't believe it. When the doctors opened me up, they didn't find any cancer, not even the ovaries. And I said, how can that be? They were so certain. And she said, it's just a miracle. The night before surgery, the elders from church came over and anointed me with oil and laid hands on me and prayed for me. And it just gave me such a peace that God's, that my health was in God's hands, and I was just so at peace with that. And as a nurse, I really had a hard time with that. But I couldn't help but see Sally's healing as anything short of a miracle. One day when we were playing doubles tennis together, she asked me to come to Green Tree because she was going to give her testimony on Sunday. And Sally knew I wasn't attending church anywhere. And she warned me that Green Tree was a little different, that it was not a traditional service. And in fact, Green Tree was held in the middle school cafeteria at North Kirkwood. And that was a stretch for me because I actually went to school at North Kirkwood Middle School. So to me, that was the cafeteria that Green Tree used as a sanctuary for worship. 
So out of loyalty to my tennis partner and bookstore buddy, I did go to Green Tree that day in the fall of 2000. And that invitation changed my life. It started to soften my heart. That the music really touched me, and I learned so much from the lyrics. And Tom Ricks's preaching was practical and humble, and I could understand it. And the best thing was they didn't pass an offering plate. And so I could see that God was starting to soften my heart. Although I never doubted that God existed, I didn't really know what faith was. There were barriers that kept me from knowing Christ and his love. And one of those barriers was that I didn't believe that the Bible was the word of God. With my analytical mind and my nursing background, I just couldn't accept that the virgin birth of Christ or his resurrection, even though God had shown me a miracle firsthand in healing Sally. And I know now that if you don't believe in the gospel, it won't change your life. I remember Tom Ricks was preaching one day, and he had a film clip from Indiana Jones where Harrison Ford was desperately trying to um, save his father's life. And in order to do that, he had to reach the Holy Grail. And he had been running, and he came to the edge of a canyon. And he looked down deep into this huge canyon with a raging river at the bottom, and then looked up and across the canyon and just didn't know how he was going to get across. And he said, it's a leap of faith. And he planted his foot firmly on thin air. And a light bulb went off for me. That's what faith is. The writer of Hebrews says, now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And that is what I had never experienced. I had never found faith across four churches in three different states. It was by faith alone that summer that I came to accept the supernatural birth and death of Christ. It no longer needed to be explained scientifically to me. And God was breaking down another barrier and drawing me closer to him. And I realize now I had become a seeker. Sally persisted in trying to get me to come to her women's Bible study in Kirkwood, but it met on Tuesday mornings, and I had a standard meeting um, about the construction of our house with all the subcontractors on Tuesday mornings, so I kept putting her off. And she still persisted until after we'd moved into our house. And life was good. We were like King Solomon. We were pursuing pleasure and wealth and status, and we had it all. But it was like a vapor. It was still empty, and there was something missing. So finally that fall, I gave in and joined Sally's Bible study. 
And Joan Holly and Jenny Wagner were teaching a study on the Gospel of John. And that, in that group of women, the Gospel really came alive for me. And I realized that I had never seen myself as a sinner. I always thought of myself as pretty good compared to most people. And can you really hear the sin in that? I mean, to feel good about myself, I was putting other people down with my critical spirit. And I realized that I was sinful, but I had those sins that Jerry Bridges called respectable sins. My sins were pride and selfishness and self-reliance and a critical spirit. And God had revealed those sins to me. And one day, Joan Holly was teaching about Jesus being like a shepherd. And she explained that when sheep accidentally roll over or end up on their back, that they can't stand up on their own, in their own strength. And it's the role of the shepherd to watch over his flock. And if any of the sheep end up on their back, the shepherd has to pick them up and put them back on their feet. And I realized I was stuck on my back. I was stuck in my sin. That was the day Joan Holly handed out this little booklet called The Four Spiritual Laws. <clears throat> and it's, this, it's a concise um, description of the gospel message. And I realized that I had only gotten as far as believing in the first step which is that I was wonderfully created by a loving God with a plan for my life. And the biggest barriers of all were about to come down as I understood and took the next three steps. And step two is that I was separated from God by my sin, and that kept me from knowing and experiencing his love. And step three was that Christ's birth, death, and resurrection are God's provision for reconciling my sinful nature to his holiness. So in other words, Christ is like that invisible bridge across the canyon between me and God that I needed to step out on in faith. And the fourth step was that if I accepted Jesus as my Savior and Lord, I would come to know and experience God's love and plan for my life. For me, my conversion didn't happen in just a day. It took 47 years. It was a process. And I am so grateful that God pursued me and provided for me across so many people in so many churches for so many years, until I finally came to accept his son, Jesus Christ, as my savior. I had finally become a believer. Finally, I knew what it meant to be born again, and not just born again in the spirit of God, but born again in the splendor of the entire Trinity, that I had always known God existed in his creation. And I had found Jesus Christ in a women's Bible study. 
And now at last, I had the Holy Spirit residing in my heart. I was a new creation. There's a whole lot more. I had only accepted Jesus as my Savior, and he was going to show me how different my life would be, allowing Christ to be Lord over my life. After being drawn to Stephen Ministry for a number of years, um, the time was finally right to join the training class last fall. And as a nurse, I had already learned how to take care of people emotionally and physically during an illness or crisis. Um, and caring came naturally for me. But the leaders of Stephen Ministry taught me a whole new kind of care, a spiritual care. And as Stephen ministers, we don't want anyone to be alone in their suffering, like I was alone during my miscarriage and my infertility. After training, I was assigned my first care receiver as a Stephen minister. And she was a young woman struggling with infertility. And I could see how God was redeeming my pain from 30 years ago, that he gave it um, a purpose and used it for good in his kingdom. And with each cycle and each pregnancy test, I could empathize firsthand with her greatest hope and her deepest disappointment. And we could just feel Jesus Christ at the center of our relationship. And we learn to um, keep our eyes fixed on God in the, his presence in the present and to not um, get stuck in the anger and the hurt of the past or worry, worry about or try to control the future. And Jesus just kept affirming that over and over again. And he filled me in, with the Holy Spirit in an amazing way that was so far beyond my own abilities that I knew it was him. That he did things like um, inspire me to send a text message to her. And she received it when she was at the doctor's office, feeling very much alone while she was waiting for a procedure. Or I would send her an email, and she wouldn't open it for a few days until one morning she was off work, and she was very much alone and feeling hopeless when she did open it. And it was just such a privilege to feel like I was the hands and feet of Christ caring for her in such a very real way. He showed us that he doesn't promise a life free of suffering, or that we will even understand our pain, what he does promise us is to be with us in our suffering and walk through it with us and use some part of it, no matter how small, for the good of his kingdom. I've just learned that I have to experience faith and community, and God has provided that community through Green Tree Church. And for that, I will always be grateful. God's blessings are just infinite under his lordship. I can't even begin to imagine how he will touch my life 
or use me to serve other people. And so I know now that my story is his story. God is the author of my story. And it is one of love and redemption and provision and glory. Hallelujah! When we edited that video, uh, all of us conniving around the screen said, you got to leave that last five seconds in there. Don't tell Jill we're going to leave it in there because you get really get to see her personality. Her, her story is a serious one, but there's uh, all kinds of joy in it. Um, now, don't panic. I'm not going to preach another sermon, okay? But I do want to take seven or eight minutes and, and wrap this one up by uh, two questions because I, I think the text for today and I think Jill's uh, story for today asks two questions of us that I think we, we have to, uh, in all honesty, answer. And the first one is uh, simply for those of us who would consider ourselves, uh, as, as Jill termed it, perhaps a, a seeker or perhaps we're in a place where we're, we are, are skeptical. Uh, maybe we've been hurt by our church experience in the past. Maybe we've never uh, come to grips with our own sinfulness. It could be that we uh, are, are skeptical through an analytical mind of, of what it means to, to really believe in the divine power of God, that, that uh, Jesus could be born of a virgin, that uh, he could suffer and die, pay for our sins, uh, experience the wrath of God, and then raise back to life. Uh, and we may say, you know, I get, I get stuck on that. I, science can't explain that or logic can't explain that. But for whatever reason, we may still be somewhere along the journey where we haven't come to grips with God's provision. And to me, as I listen to Jill's story, and there, there's so much more of it, and, and, uh, and perhaps at some point we can, we can share more of it, but the thing that, that uh, really captured my attention was that God was providing for Jill every step of the way. Even in the miscarriage, even in a church not doing their job very well, even in the, uh, the accumulation of wealth and how that was a distraction for her in some ways, in all of those things, God was providing for the moment of salvation. You can't read Genesis 22 and not get a little concerned about God's motives. Uh, God asked I, uh, Abraham to take his son Isaac and to offer him as a burnt sacrifice. And you read that, and just in passing, you go, what kind of God would do that? You need to understand that Isaac's life was never in jeopardy because one of two things was going to happen. Either Abraham was not going to believe God and he wasn't going to continue on his journey of faith, and, least, and at least for this life, in a temporary way, Isaac's life would have been spared. Had his father said, no, God, I'm not going to do that. We're going we're to stay here in our tent, and, and I'm not going to believe that you'll provide. It could have turned out that way. Or as Abraham obeyed in faith and trusted God and put his son in God's hands, God would provide salvation. If you go back to chapter 22 and you look at verses 13 and 14, it says that Abraham looked up. And behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Abraham saw firsthand God's provision for his salvation. 
And in this particular story, uh, it happened in, in the course of about a three or four day journey that he took with his son. Jill's story was, was a story of 47 years of coming to faith. But all along both of those journeys, and for every person in this room this morning that is a disciple of Jesus that has put their faith in Christ, all of our journeys up to this, to this point of salvation is a journey of God's provision. And we want you to see that this morning because the reason that Green Tree Community Church exists, if you're a visitor and you haven't been around Green Tree very, very long and you wonder why we're here, we are here because of, of, of our community. We're here because the message of the gospel is true. We're here for others. Sometimes we lose sight of that. Sometimes we're not as friendly as we should be. Sometimes we don't do ministry as well as, as we ought to. We can get self-centered just like everybody else, and we can really blow it and mess it up. But down deep in our hearts, we know we're here because God has called us to share the message of the gospel, to say that God provides. And we want you to know that this morning. If you're skeptical, if you're nervous about your journey of faith, we want you to know that God provides. And we're here to share that message with you. I was tempted at this point of the, of the service to say, you know, we might want to have an altar call. We don't do altar calls very often at Green Tree, maybe once or twice a year or every other year where we invite people to come down front and put their faith in Christ. But I'm going to do a reverse altar call this morning. I haven't told anybody about this, but here's what I want to do. If you're here this morning and you're a disciple of Jesus and you know what it means to put your faith in Christ, and if you would be overjoyed to share that with somebody else, there might be somebody else sitting in this room that doesn't know Christ and they're here this morning and they'd like to know him. If you would say, you know what, it would be my honor and my privilege and the greatest joy I could have to be able to share that message with somebody and to lead them to Christ. If that's you, if that describes you, would you please stand up right now? Just stay standing for about 10 more seconds. I want you to know that there are people all around you that would be thrilled to talk to you about Jesus. You don't have to come forward. You don't, you don't have to, to, to go through some program. You can simply tap that person on the shoulder before you leave this room and say, hey, would you mind if I could ask you some questions about Christ? You can sit down. Thank you very much. That's, that's application number one. I promise to keep it to seven or eight minutes, but here's application number two, and we just began to demonstrate that. Part of God's provision is us. We're the, in some senses, uh, Jesus is the ultimate ram in the thicket that, that provides salvation. And if you want to hear a great sermon on chapter 22 of Genesis, go to our website and go back to, to a Palm Sunday evening worship service in last year in 2009. Pastor Jeremy preached a phenomenal sermon on Genesis chapter 22. If you want to hear that, that scripture in its entirety. But in many smaller ways, we're, we don't provide redemption for people. Christ did that. But in many smaller ways, as, as Jill said, we are the hands and feet of Jesus. And friends, we got to get that. We got to understand that. We, we don't exist for ourselves. Green Tree Community Church is not a place where we come to feel good or come to get our needs met. If we're disciples of Jesus, it is the instrument, it is the tool that God places in his hands in order to be a provision for others. And provision happens in all kinds of ways. Provision happened this morning when a bunch of people came in here and set up chairs so that we could all sit here and, and worship together. Provision happened when they set up the screen and they put the sound system on the stage and when Sunday school teachers showed up early to go to the rooms and teach our kids Sunday school. It happens in all kinds of ways. It happens when community group leaders lead Bible studies. It happens when, when the deacons uh, take care of the hurting and the broken around and Stephen ministers come and care for us when we're hurt. There are all kinds of ways, but, but we got to get that. 
that we are God's provision to point people to Christ. In this day, in this generation, in this community, we've been called by God. And so over the next three weeks as we celebrate these life stories, as we rejoice in God's faithfulness, I want us to do that with the assurance that God will provide. But I also want us to do it understanding that it's me. It's you. Those of us who are disciples of Jesus, it's our opportunity today to be the provision of God in someone's life. And so when I look at my schedule, when I look at how I spend my time, when I look at my checkbook and how I spend my money, when I look at, at the energy and the resources and the opportunities God has given me, do I look at it through the prism of me as part of God's provision? God will provide. And maybe, just maybe, we'll get to be part of that. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I pray for those in this room who are wrestling in their spiritual journey and there's some place prior to faith, to conversion, to salvation. I thank you that Jeff reminded us as we uh, began worship this morning, reading out of the Psalms, I won't be silent. I will, I will sing of your love, of your mercy. I will speak your, your truth in the assembly. Father, I, I thank you that that's the calling on, on our lives to share with others. So if there are folks here this morning, I pray that they wouldn't be inhibited, they wouldn't be scared, but maybe they saw somebody standing around them and they could just go to them and say, could you talk to me about Jesus? I'm not sure what all this means. And that you would use some of us even this morning as your provision. Now, Father, for those of us who, who claim to be disciples of Jesus, Lord God, our, our prayer is simply make us faithful in this generation. Allow us the privilege and the honor and the glory of coming uh, alongside your plan in your work in Kirkwood and Glendale and De Pere and uh, mission work that we support all over the world, Lord. Let us be faithful. Let us do more that your kingdom may grow, that the name of Jesus may receive more glory and more honor, that lives would be changed, that people's eternities would be different because you plant the green tree in this community. Father, we, we pray for ourselves that we would see ourselves as your provision and that we would live and act under that identity as messengers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 